Welcome to Activate Church Podcast and thanks for listening. We hope this message helps you and we pray that God speaks to you through this week's message. I want to admit something to you this morning uh, about, well, I want to say, when I say I want to admit something to you, it's really about I'm admitting something to you about my wife. Uh, So it's really not my secret to share, but I'm going to admit it about her anyway. It's a part of her past, which is very dark, a dark part of her her history, but I'm going to reveal it today. And then hopefully, I haven't told her that I'm doing this, so right now she's probably peaking because she's wondering what I'm about to say. But I want to tell you something is when I first met Sarah, she used to watch Days of Our Lives. It's true. In fact, when I met her, that was nearly a deal breaker for me. I didn't know if I'd ever be able to get past that. We've seen some counseling, so it's okay. We're okay now. But, but she loved Days of Our Lives, and she used to watch it. And for me, personally, I can't stand reality television, and that is like so far below reality television. I just can't stand shows like that. Like, it's torture for me. And uh, I, I met her, and she loved this show, and I'm thinking, what's wrong with you? And anyway, one day I remember that she wasn't able to uh, watch this episode that was going to be an important episode. She told me about it. So now I'm going to admit something about myself. This is how I knew I loved my wife. I watched an episode. And I took notes. We sat down later. And I told her what happened in that episode. Now I've repressed a lot of that now, okay? So I can't... I don't remember what happened because, I, again, we got counseling, but, but I watched an episode and this is how I knew I, I loved her. Nobody made me do it. I did it just because I love her, you know. Man, when we got married, I remember I took Sarah out for, for dinner and we went uh, to this great Italian restaurant in the city. And then after we went out for dinner uh, with about maybe half an hour before the Rialto uh, closed for the night. I said to her, why don't we go to the Rialto and just go up the top and have a look around? And she thought that sounded like a great idea. And what I did during the day is that I had gone to the Rialto Tower and planned this for a little while. And I had organized with the events manager to have this sort of big flower display and stand. And there was like champagne in a bucket and a card that I'd written to her and all the rest of it. And so we went out for dinner. I said, hey, why don't we just go on down to the Rialto and just before it closes, wouldn't that be awesome? Hoping that she was going to say yes, she was going to do it anyway. And, uh, and so anyway, we get down there and we go up to the top and as I'm walking around, the staff know that this is happening, right? So we've only got about maybe 15, 20 minutes before it actually closes. And so we're walking around and we come across this uh, flower display and stand And I see it and I said, oh, wow, isn't this nice? And we're standing right next to it. And Sarah says, this is nice. And and, and she puts her hands in the bucket of ice and she grabs the ice and she goes, oh, my gosh, do you realize what's happening? I said, I think I do. And she said, this is real ice. I said, yeah. She goes, no, that means that this display is real. I said, yeah. She goes, no, no. It closes in 10 minutes. We're going to see something happen in the next 10 minutes. I'm like, yeah, you're not going to miss this. 
So anyway, uh, as we're standing there, that's the card on the table. And I said to her, why don't you read the card? And she said, I'm not reading that card. These people could show up any minute. I'm like, no, no, why don't you just read the card? She's like, I'm not reading it. I'm like, all right, fine. Then I'll read the card that I wrote. And so I, I get the card and I open it and I, I look at it. And she's like looking around like my scout, you know, like, oh my gosh. If these people come and see that we're reading their card, this is going to be so embarrassing. And so I read the card and I, and, and I start reading it, but I already know what's on the card because, well, I wrote it. So I handed the card to her and she holds it and she's holding the card and she's reading it and it's right in front of her face. But because I know what it says, I just recite it because I already know. So then she moves the card away from her face and I'm already down on one knee with the ring in this, in this moment, and she's looking down at me. What a beautiful moment. And I said to her, she looks at me, she's confused, and she says, uh, I, as, as we're talking about it, I say uh, to her, will, will you marry me? And when she looks and she sees me on one knee and understands everything and all the pieces have come together, she says, what? <laughs> it was the most underwhelming experience of my life. I thought that as soon as reality kicks in, she would say yes. She followed it up with what, 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 what? Like she had no idea what was happening. I said, I'm asking you to marry me. And I'm looking and the staff are looking because they can see what's happening. I'm like, for the love of God, please just say yes. And, and, she, and she realizes and it kicks in and she says yes. Everyone's clapping, they're cheering, the staff are excited. You know, I'm excited because she said yes. And the thing is, well, it was a great time. Now, nobody made me do that. Nobody put me up to that. Nobody forced me to watch Days of Our Lives. No, that's when I knew I could marry her, by the way, because I was able to deal with such devastating stuff in my life by watching that episode. But, but I knew. So nobody forced me to do anything. You know what? I, I loved her. And because I loved her, I wanted to do it. You with me? When you love someone, you want to do something for them, right? I want to speak to you today about true love. I'm going to read a scripture to you today. It comes out of the Old Testament. Uh, we're going to go to that scripture right now if we're good. Here we go. 2 Kings chapter 13, verses 14 to 19. It says, Now when Elisha, who was the prophet to Israel, had fallen sick with the illness of which he was to die, Joash, the king of Israel, went down to him and wept before him, crying, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And Elisha said to him, Take a bow and arrows. And so he took a bow and arrows. And then he said to the king of Israel, draw the bow. And he drew it. And Elisha laid his hands on the king's hands. And he said, open the window eastward. And he opened it. And Elisha said, shoot. And he shot. And he said, the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Syria. For you shall fight the Syrians at Aphek. Until you have made an end of them. And he said, take the arrows. And he, being the king, he took them. 
And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground with them. And he struck the ground three times and stopped. And the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have struck down Syria until you had made an end of it. But now you will strike Syria, uh, strike down Syria only three times. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. And we pray that today you would speak to us. And we want to have our hearts open. And God, I, we want to be transformed by your word. I pray, God, that today as we sit here, that, Lord, you speak to us and we see something that we've never seen before, or maybe hear something we've never heard before. And as a result of it, we leave this place completely different. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. A few weeks ago, uh, I had to go to a wedding. And so my, I was trying to get everything ready and pack the kids' bags and uh, trying to get three kids ready. Sarah's not there. She's already down at the wedding. And I'm trying to get everything done and organized. And as we're getting everything done, right when we're about to leave, I realized something, which is that my daughter, I remember seeing her with the only key to the car to get down to where we had to go. And I, I, I looked at her and she does this all the time. She will hide the key. She will hide it in her little mini oven. She will hide it in shoes. She will hide it in our closet. There's really no system here. So you really don't know when she hides something. So I realized that she'd done it. And so I grabbed her. And you know when you're not thinking straight? I wasn't thinking straight. So I said to her, where did you put the key? It's like she can't even talk, you know. I'm like, where did you put the key, right? And as this is all happening, right, my mom who's there who's helping me because she's going to drive the kids back home, she looks at me and she says to me, kind of like a smirk on her face, she says, you know, you did this to me. <laughs> and I realized what was happening. I was being punished for what I did when I was a kid. And I was like, my kids, I didn't realize it, but they're just like me. I started thinking about that. I thought, that makes sense because I'm kind of like my parents. And, and there's parts of their parents that are, that are in them. And we kind, of, we kind of grow up to be like our parents sometimes. And not that necessarily all of you want to do that, but there will be parts of you that will come out particularly when you're disciplining your children and, and they'll come out and you'll be like, where did that come from? And it just kind of came out of your mouth and you, you sort of become more like your, your, your parents. You know why? Because children inherit habits. They do. Children become like their parents. And the story that we read today about this king called Joash is no different. Let me give you the history to the story that we read. There's a series of kings in, in Israel and a series of kings that didn't worship God, but in fact were worshiping idols. They had uh, these false gods and they made room and made provision for them in their kingdom. And so, you know, Joash growing up, looking at the way his dad ran the kingdom and the way that his dad did things, he grew up to be exactly like his dad. How much does that, if you're a parent and you're here, how much does that speak to you and make you realize that as parents, we got to set such a great example for our kids to follow? You know, when I was younger and growing up, my uh, mom would say this sentence to me often. She would say, uh, do as I say, but not as I do. I remember that. The thing is, it doesn't work. 
Because actually kids won't do what you say, they'll do what they see you do. Which is why it's so important for us to set the right example as parents. You can't model coming to church, you know, once or twice a month. And when your kids turn 18 and they want nothing to do with it, and you're like, why aren't you guys committed anymore? They say, well, that's what we grew up with our whole life. So for me, I say, you got to set the right example for your kids because they'll just end up doing what you do. So you got to just sort of think about that. I mean, set the right example so your kids will follow in, follow in, this, in your footsteps. Now, the issue here, the problem is that for, for, for Joash and, and, and for all the previous kings, is that they keep having these catastrophes. They keep getting attacked. Their stuff keeps getting taken by other nations and countries and people are getting killed and they could avoid so much of this if they had have just followed God and just did what he said to do. They could have avoided all of this. You know, I, I said, uh, I always say that prevention is better than cure. Prevention's better than cure. Last week I read a scripture where God said to Israel, I set before you today two options. You can have the option of life or the option of death. And then he adds to that, I would suggest that you choose life. Prevention is better than cure. Prevention is where you choose life and you go after God and you do it before anything goes wrong because you're far better off living that kind of life and getting things right in the beginning than waiting till you hit some problem and realizing that you've gone the wrong way. You see, sometimes we look at people's lives and, and good people, you know, and we say, ah, oh, have you ever heard somebody say this? Why do bad things happen to good people? Have you ever heard that? Do you know the reason, not always, but the reason why sometimes bad things happen to good people is because even good people do dumb things. They do. And when good people do dumb things, I want you to understand that there is forgiveness and there's grace, but there's still consequences. And just because you get forgiven by God or by another person doesn't mean that as a result of your actions that there's going to be some flow-on effect in your life. And so Joash, he's grown up and he's watched his dad live this kind of life and there's a flow-on effect of Joash's dad's life into Joash's life. See, he watched his dad just live this life of sin. And when I say sin, if you're new to church and you're like, uh, what does that really mean? Well, it's not some moral standard. It's really just doing what God told us to do. Or actually, did you know that sin comes in two forms? Most people always think about it as the thing that you did wrong, but sometimes it's the thing that you didn't do right. It's called the sin of commission and the sin of omission. And so really, there's a bunch of things that Joash's dad should have done, which really he just didn't do. And as a result, it opened up doorways in their nation for them to be attacked by foreign nations. And they came in and that's exactly what happened. And Syria at this point in the story had all but destroyed Israel. They were in serious trouble. They were, they, and, and you know what? Here they are, and, and they're kind of concerned about their future because of what their father had done, because of what the, the history and the royal line all the way to Joash had brought them to this place. Now, I want you to realize something. 
is that when you move away from God, it's like going for a walk in the rain. If you move away from God, it's like going for a walk in the rain. If you don't like getting wet, stay undercover. Because oftentimes God can take you through life. And if you stay under His cover, which by the way, He'll never force you to stay there. And if you stay under His cover, you're going to be dry. You're going to be fine. He can take you where you need to go. And at any point, should you choose, you can step out from underneath His covering. You'll step out, but you'll get wet. If you don't like the rain, stay undercover. That kind of makes sense to me. I call this the uh, principle of proximity. And here's how it works. The closer you are to God, the more peace you're going to have in your life. So stay close to God and you got to just sort of stay undercover. Except that Joash, he hasn't learned this principle. Why didn't he learn it? Because it wasn't modeled to him. Because it wasn't shown to him. So he didn't understand any of this that's happening. And he runs into the prophet Elisha's uh, place and he says to him, Father, Father. So I guess they were pretty close, right? So he says to him, Father, Father, what about Israel's horses and their chariots? Now, the reason he says that. It's because the last time that Syria attacked them, they were left with, I think it was 50 horses, 10 chariots, and 10,000 foot soldiers. Now, uh, chariots and horsemen, that's a game changer in a war, in a battle. They're like, we've got nothing. What are we going to do? And this is the context. And he runs into Elisha and he says, Father, Father, what about the chariots of Israel and the horsemen? And what he doesn't realize is that there is a far more pressing need that's directly in front of him, which is this, which is that the prophet Elisha is dying and he hasn't passed the mantle onto anyone else. You see, when prophets stood before people in Israel, they were, it was as if God was standing before you. They spoke on behalf of God and what they said stood. So now the pressing issue, the major issue, forget about just today's battle. There's a more pressing issue, which is, Elisha, you're about to die. What's coming next? Like, what are you going to do? But he's too concerned about today's battle, the one that he kind of even brought to his own doorstep. He's freaked out because he realizes that they can't really protect themselves. But he has been around long enough and heard enough stories in his time to understand that if God God wants to change it, He can. Here is my number one tip for you today. Don't wait for some kind of tragedy or catastrophe before you go running to God. Don't wait till you have a situation that's so dire that it drives you to your knees in devotion before God because now something has gone wrong. Don't wait till things happen in your life and then you cultivate an amazing prayer life. Why? Well, you really need God right now. And you wait till tragedy before you, you run into His presence. And this is what Elisha is doing right here. He realizes there's a situation that deserves his attention. See, if you don't love God, He becomes a means to your end. Just let that sit with you for a minute. If you don't love Him, 
He really just becomes a means to your end. See, when all of your problems dry up, if you drop God, you know that He's a means to your end. When all your circumstances are turned around and you are not desperate anymore because the answers you seek have come to you and immediately your devotional life takes a sharp and steady dive. Why? Because there's no pressing need anymore. There's no issue that's drawn your focus. There's no problem that you're preoccupied with and concerned of. It really means, and I know no one ever really means for this to happen, but it does mean that God is simply, He's a means to your end. You see, when God answers prayers, it gives people an opportunity to change. To change the way that you've been living. God, help me. God, help me. And then He helps. And if you drop Him, you didn't take the opportunity that He gave you. You didn't take what God was putting into your hands. And so here's Joash before Elisha. And he comes to him, what are we going to do? Freaking out. What about the chariots and the horses? How are we going to handle this situation? And so Elisha says to Joash, I want you to get the arrows and get the bow. I want you to stretch it. Now, right before he lets it go, Elisha comes and he lays his hands on Joash. This is a really powerful moment. He lays his hands on Joash. And this repetition that you read in the scriptures where he says, take the bow and he took the bow, draw the, or take the arrows and he took the arrows and draw the bow when he draws the bow and he does everything that he's seen and they do it like that in scripture. It means something significant is taking place there. And then Elisha comes and he places his hands on the king, on his hands before he lets go of the bow. And this is why this moment is so powerful. And by the way, it might be, it might have been long lost on you when we read it the first time, but it certainly wasn't lost on Joash when it happened. And what he's really saying is, is that something's going to happen, but I'm placing the future in your hands, Joash. I'm going to place the future of what happens. What happens if Joash never let go of the bow? See, the future was really in Joash's hands. And so he lays his hands on him with some kind of impartation and he lets go of the bow and then the bow flies. And then after it flies away, he comes to him and he says, now take the arrows and strike them on the ground. And what happened between when he let the arrow fly, remember when he was freaking out? Do you remember when he was tears and father, father, what are we going to do? What happened between that passionate exchange in that moment where he let the arrow fly. And when he took those arrows and casually struck them on the ground, do you know what the difference was? He got his answer. He got his solution. Because after he fired the arrow, the prophet said to him, ah, the Lord's arrow of victory. Now you're going to have victory over Syria. And suddenly Joash goes, thank God that's over. Now I can relax. 
Now I can get back to being who I really am. Now it's all okay. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Once Joash's problems disappeared, so did his passion. My kids get pocket money. And we were driving in the car the other day. And one of them said to me, Dad, I've just realized something. And I said, what is it? And he said, I only clean my room when I've found something to buy. This is a true conversation. See, he likes to have these saving goals, buying his Lego Bionicle thing. And he has a saving goal and he'll flick through a magazine. Now, once he's found something that's pressing... He is in that room like you have never seen before. It is not hard to motivate him. It's easy. You know why? He's not going to get what he wants. So he's clean in that room. And even if he doesn't get any help from his siblings, man, he's just passionate. He's clean out. He'll get me three times. Is this good enough? No, it's not good enough. No complaining. He just gets back to work. This is a miracle, all right? Now, the reason that he's so passionate is that he's found something that he wants to buy. So his passion to clean is at an all-time high. I have noticed a pattern. The week after he's bought his Lego Bionicle thing, there is a steady decline in his passion to cleaning his room. Do you know why? He's satisfied. He got what he wanted. He doesn't need me anymore. And he doesn't need his pocket money anymore. So as soon as he got what he wants, he just leaves his room a mess. And I've seen this way of living. I've seen this kind of thing played out so many times where people cultivate an incredible prayer life when there's a pressing need. Where there's an issue that draws their attention and their focus. But then when all of the problems go, all the prayers are answered, all of the passion starts to dwindle. And the obedience, I'll do whatever you want, God. Just make sure you answer this prayer. I'll do whatever you want, God. Just you know, heal this person. I'll do whatever you want, God. But I just need the situation fixed. And I'll do it, God. I'll do it. I'll do it. And as soon as we... Get what we want. What happens to your passion? What happens to the obedience? What happens to the desire? It dries up. It goes away because there's no sort of pressing need anymore. And my thing is, is why would you wait till you had problems in your life before you start to cultivate the kind of prayer life that's required of you every single day? Why would you wait till there was a problem in your marriage before you decided to fix it? What if you just lived on the front foot and said, I'm going to make sure we never have a problem by the way I live my life? Why would you wait till your finances are in serious trouble before you come back to God and go, okay, I'm going to start tithing again. <sighs> just save me. I need rent this week. I need, I need money to pay my bills this week. All right, now I've decided to honor you with my money. Why? Well, I've got a problem that I need you to fix. And now that I've got a problem, I'm prepared to change. Why would you wait for problems until that happens? Why would you wait until you've crossed the boundary before you decide to redraw the boundary in the safe areas of your life? Why wait till there are problems before you start to get serious? And I think about that and I think, what kind of strategy is that for life? 
What is, what, what is the strategy attached to that? Is, is the strategy just survival? Is the strategy that I'm just going to limp through life and live in the space between my problems being answered and going back to the life that I had? Answered prayer is an opportunity to break completely free of that and transform your life utterly. Why would we just be the kind of people where we just, you know, give God our problems, but not really our, our whole lives? By the way, I want to explain something to you. This is a really important point. This is a very quick point, but a very important one. God doesn't love you more when you obey Him. He just loves you, period. All right, so you got that, right? Right, he doesn't love you more because you obey Him, but He knows you love Him when you do. He knows you do when you be obedient, when you live a life that goes after Him. So anyway, here's Elisha, and he answers Joash, and he answers Joash's prayer, and Joash has got the solution that he wanted. And all of his passion is sort of dried up, and he adds to him, go and take the, the, the arrows and strike them on the ground. Now, when he said to strike the arrows on the ground, the word ground means land. And when he said the word land, he means country. In other words, what he's really saying is, I want you to take those arrows, and I want you to begin to strike the ground as if you're striking Assyria. We already heard that he had the victory. And so all of his passion starts to kind of dry up. And then it says that the man of God was very angry with him. And the first time I'm reading this, I'm like, Elisha, seriously, what is your problem? You're a little bit weird. If you wanted to struck six times, maybe better instructions would have got you there. Like, why didn't you just, if you wanted six, say six. If you want 12, he's a man. We need very explicit instructions. Why didn't you just sort of tell him what he was supposed to do? And then I realized why the man of God was actually angry. Because he provided Joash. Remember, the future was in his hands. He provided Joash with an opportunity for lasting change. He provided him with an opportunity for change and he stopped. All of his passion had gone. Why would... He just settled for solutions when he could actually have a better life. Why just, why would we want to be the kind of people ever that just settle for God solving our problem today, but not live the kind of lives that avoid problems tomorrow? That's just called survival and it's not a great strategy for life. You know, the thing about this is, is that God's grace, when it comes to us, it gives us opportunities to change. And that's the gospel message. The gospel message is, is that by God's grace, you're saved. If you're here today, you've given your heart to Jesus. You have a Father in heaven who looks over you. And what He did is He took your sin. He removed it as far as the east is from the west. He also said that it would not rule and reign over your life, giving you, therefore, the opportunity to make the right choices, giving you, therefore, the opportunity to choose life. And He says, my grace has come to you so that you could make the right choices. Now, just as He said to Israel in the Old Testament, would you please choose life? He had a chance, Joash to end Syria. He had a chance for them to never come back. If I had those arrows in my hands and I knew that I needed to make a change with my life 
And I knew that I needed something that has been after me for years. If I needed that thing to stop and I had the opportunity, I would be smashing those arrows into the ground. There'd be like splinters flying. There would be dust and I'd be grinding it into the ground and say, you're not going to come back after me. You're not going to finish me. You're not going to end me. And even though I've beaten you at times in my life, you keep coming back. You're finished. I'm going to end you today. That's what I would do if I had the opportunity. If it was in my hand, I'd say, you will never attack my family. You will never bring cancer to my house. You will never, I would smash those arrows. I would ground them into dust. I would end it right there. And right then I would do it all. Why? Because I'm like, that's it, that's the end. There's opportunity for change. Man, I would just finish it. I would end it right there. What did Joash do? We thought he already had his solution, right? So half-heartedly, he gets them and he kind of strikes them on the ground. If you read what commentators say about this passage, they said when he struck the arrows on the ground, it was more about amusing a dying man, entertaining a dying man's wishes rather than sharing his convictions He didn't share the convictions of the prophet. He had what he wanted from him. And so he was just happy to get on with his life. This is my point today. God's not a tool you use. He's a person you love. You don't pick him up and when you get what you want, you drop him. He's a person you love, not a tool you use. You got to carry your convictions from your problems into your solutions. So you just as passionate about God when you don't have a pressing issue? Are you just as passionate about God when you don't have a sickness in the family? Are you just as passionate about God than when some kind of catastrophe happens and suddenly it brings you to your knees and you're like, now I'm serious. Now I'm going to cultivate this prayer life. Why? Because now I need you. But what about today? What about today? Do you carry your convictions from your problems straight into your solutions. You see, I think the true love is self-evident. True love is self-evident. Nobody makes me hug my kids. There's no hug police. You know? Maybe Sarah. No, there's no hug police. No one makes me hug my kids. No one makes me take my wife out on a date night. But I do that. Do you know why? Love. I do it because I love them. So it's not work and it's not effort and it's not law and it's not obedience. It's just what I want to do. Why do I want to do it? (laughs) I love them. You know what's really sad is that we know the end of the story here. We know the end of the story about Joash because the Bible tells us. And it says that Joash never departed from the sins of his father. He actually lived the same way, which tells me this, is that even after they defeated Syria the three times that we read about today, at the end of all of that and seeing how God could give great victory, it still was not enough for God to win over the heart of the king. It wasn't enough for him to win the heart of Joash. And so Joash, you know what he really did? He kind of maintained the appearance of someone who was committed, but he wasn't. He just needed solutions. And it looked like devotion, but it was desperation. 
It looked like he had a relationship. He didn't have that. He didn't, he didn't love God. He loved Elisha. But isn't it kind of sad when people love all the stuff around God, but they don't really love God because they never really had that relationship in the first place? And coming to church, and we love the great coffee, and we love the comfortable seats, and the fact that the heating is nice, and the worship was great, and we had, oh my gosh, a three-piece harmony that came together from the worship team, and it's just like the presence of God was just in the room, and we can love all the things about God, but we don't actually love God Himself. I'm telling you, the best thing about church is the fact that God is in this place. He's here. And if you live the kind of life where you're in love with this, I mean, I love these guys, but you know what I'm saying, right? If you love this, and you love this, and you love the temperature, and you love the coffee, and you love all of that, but you don't actually have a relationship with Jesus, I promise you one thing, a life of hardship. Because you're actually trying, you don't actually love God. You're trying to get close to Him, but you don't actually love Him. And that's a major problem. And here's the issue is that I can tell you about this, but I can't give it to you. This is a revelation thing. I talk to you all about it, but I can't actually give this to you. I can't make you see what I see. And even in a room this size, I'm looking at people and some of you, it's going to be switching on. And some of you are going to say, wow, that was inspiring or maybe encouraging or something like that. But you still didn't quite get it. It's a thing that you need from God. It's a thing that happens when He opens His eyes and He reveals who He is to you. you gotta, you got to live from a place of love. you got to live from a place of actually loving God. You know, something that I've learned is that relationships are not about discipline. They're about desire. They're about desire. I don't have to force myself to spend time with my children. I want to. I don't have to force myself to spend time with friends or family or my wife. It's not about out of rigid discipline that I do that. How are your devotionals going? I must do this. I've got to do this. Do you know the thing about this is, is that love does what the law could never do. Because the law is about following obedience. I did it right. I did it wrong. You know what? Try this on next time. You're in a situation and you know that there's life and death before you. There's a right option and there's a bad option. And instead of having the conversation in your head where you say, well, I know what's right to do in this situation. Why don't you entertain a different kind of conversation where you actually say to God, I know what would make you happy. I know what you would want me to do. And I love you, so I want to make you happy. And you can throw out the law. You can throw out the right and the wrong. You can throw out all of the stuff and the working hard to be obedient because when you, you know what happens? When you love God, it changes your motivation. It changes your desire. And suddenly you're loving Him and you're wanting to please Him. It doesn't feel like rules anymore. You say, I want to do this. I want to do this. So ask yourself today, do I, do I really love God? Do I really, I mean, do I really love Him? How hard is it to pray? How hard is it to read your Bible? Do you, do you, do you really love Him? And I'll tell you something about this is that I'm preparing this message. I haven't had this happen for a little while, but before you answer the question of whether you really love God, I want you to understand a couple of things about my life. This is 
my whole life, just really church and friends and this is what I do. I prepare sermons every week. I'm in the Word of God nearly every day. And I'm doing all of this stuff. And I'm working towards purposes and goals because I know that there's, hey, 10 a.m., I've got a message that needs to be delivered every week. So I know that, right? But I am sitting in front of my computer and I encountered this message. And at that moment, I realized something. Do you know that I do this? I do this. I sometimes do this. Because when a major issue pops up in my life, I pray more. When a situation happens that's out of my control, I do, I pray more, I get even more serious about it. I spend even more time and I've realized something about it is that I do this. And when I read this and I wrote that line, I mean, do you really love God? Let me tell you the response that I had. I slid out of my seat and I slid onto the floor and with my hands like this, I said, I'm sorry. I said, I'm sorry that I do this. I'm sorry that sometimes when problems come, it's then that I get even more passionate and more serious. But this is not the way I want to live. This is survival mode. This is not where it's at. It is, it is abundant. It's poured out. It's pressed down. It's shaken together. It's running over. It's abundance. I said, that's, this is not what I want. I want an amazing life with you, Jesus, that's way beyond the law, that's born out of love, that's never ending with desire and passion. I want that to be flowing out all the time. And it's not about goals. It's all about Him. It's all about what He's done. It's about the fact that He loves me. I said, that's the kind of relationship with I want. And so with tears in my eyes, I said, I repent. Because I know that sometimes this is my life. So I ask you the same question that I responded to my own altar call in my office while I was all by myself. And I said, do you really love God? Or do you kind of live this life where you wait for something to go wrong before you start to get really serious about who He is? Let's stand together. We trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website, www.activatechurch.com or download our app online and have a great week.